0: Hi Nancy. Hey. So uh I wanted to ask, we're gonna be talking um about Hawaii today. Have you ever been to Hawaii? I have
1: not. I, I wanna go, but I have never been.
0: Have you ever done like the like what's the um what's the most like tropical place you've ever visited?
1: Well I've been to Thailand.
0: That's you, tropical. You, you say that like it's just a thing, like, well I've been to Thailand, duh. You should know that.
1: Yeah. Oh no, maybe you don't. That's tropical. <laughs> It's tropical. <laughs> it's hot. It's hot.
0: Yeah. Yeah. What was your like most memorable experience?
1: Well, it was it was different. I was doing an um, uh, internship at the end of grad school um, in journalism, so um, I got uh, to work in Bangkok and report and stuff like that. But we did get to go down to Phuket, which is you know. Oh, this is a memorable experience. There you go. Okay, we went down to Phuket one day because Jimmy Carter was there because you know he does Habitat for. For Humanity, Mm -hmm. and they were rebuilding a lot of stuff that was destroyed um, in the tsunami. So this was, you know, twelve years ago, it was. So um, at the time, though, there was a there had been a bloodless coup in Thailand, um, and they had overthrown the government. So he wanted to talk about Habitat (laughs) for Humanity, but I felt it my duty as a journalist to ask him about the bloodless (laughs) coup. Um, He was not happy, (laughs) but he answered my question, so that was cool.
0: (laughs) <laughs> this, this will not be about that, but that is memorable nonetheless. <laughs> Welcome to the American Geophysical Union's podcast about the scientist and the methods behind the science. These are the stories you won't read in the manuscript or hear in a lecture. I'm Shane Hanlon.
1: And I'm Nancy Bompi.
0: And this is Third Pod from the Sun.
1: actually, I know my story has like nothing to do. <laughs>
0: it's fascinating. yeah,
1: but actually, you know when I was in Thailand, um it was during the rainy season, mm. which is crazy. So every day in the afternoon it pours and then then there's about like, you know two feet of water on the ground and you have to walk through it on your way home sure. and getting um, around is not easy. off your legs yeah because it's the Bangkok, it's the city. It's sure. like all you know e- yeah who knows so what's in that water
0: <laughs> so that 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 kind of does actually relate back to what we're talking about today so uh last year um myself and our producer liza lester hi liza hi um, we had the opportunity to speak with a hydrologist uh, who studies many other things as well um, who was in town as part of triple Leschner leshner fellowship uh, talking about some of her wild fieldwork experiences
2: I'm Kate Brauman. I work at the University of Minnesota at the Institute on the Environment there, where I'm the lead scientist for the Global Water Initiative. So I look at global trends in water use and water availability, and particularly paying attention to what happens upstream. So what are we doing on the landscape? And how does that affect water downstream?
0: I mean, this sounds like really, like high level stuff, and you're, you're, <laughs> you're like coordinating a ton of projects, right? How did you get interested in this? Or how did you come to like, this part of what you're doing?
2: So I started working on investments in watersheds really when I started graduate school, so quite a while ago. And there was an opportunity to do some work on the big island of Hawaii. And let me tell you, when you tell people you work in Hawaii, all you get are eye rolls. (laughs) And I will also tell you that if you are on the beach in Kona, which is a beautiful place, it's always sunny, it's always nice, at 1 PM, you turn around and you look up at the mountain. It will be enshrouded in fog. And you know where I was the entire time I did field work? I was right in the middle of that cloud, um, which was amazing. And also, I've never been colder in my entire life. Interesting. So I spent a lot of time working up in what would have been fog forest. So in the fog belt that's up above the, what's now a resort community, but really has a long history of many different communities on the leeward side of the big island of Hawaii. So Kona, which is the opposite side of the island from where the volcano is. Okay. And as you go up the mountain, um, that's where the recharge area is for all the water that people drink who live down closer to the beach. So, what I was trying to do was understand how the changing landscape affects water availability for downstream communities. And one of the things that's really interesting about this part of Hawaii is that um, there's actually no perennial streams on this entire side of Hawaii, so this is the dry side. Big rivers and rivers of lava on the other side of the island. This side of the island has no perennial streams. Everything is a groundwater system, and part of the reason for that is because this side of the island had volcanoes not all that long ago. So I was working in the recharge area for um, the Department of Water Supply, so where their wells are downstream close to where the people live, or down gradient close to where the people live, but the recharge area is up on the mountain where it actually rains, and they're partly no streams because the land there is really young so a Hmm. lot of the places that i was working in the land itself if you just looked at it it looks like forest or it looks like pasture land but as soon as you start digging and poking a little bit you get maybe four or five inches of um it's not even soil really it's just organic matter sitting Hmm. on top of unconsolidated lava rock. So basically, golf ball-sized chunks of lava with roots around them. <laughs> and um, actually, the, the, the National Soil Conservation Service, NRCS, um, who does soil classifications, refers to this as extremely rocky muck.
0: Oh, that's a technical term. It is an,
2: apparently a technical term. But what's what's really interesting about this is that it means that You know, once water hits the ground surface, there's just, it just doesn't go very far before it starts getting into the ground. And that's because in a lot of these places, the ground is only 750 or a thousand years old. So really, really, really young in geologic time. That's crazy because a
1: thousand years seems like a long time to me. Me too. I know. But this geologic (laughs) stuff, it's not, I guess. It's baby rocks. Yeah. So I guess, does that make a difference into how much water there is available? I think that's something that Kate was interested in. So she was also trying to figure out if the land was being used in different ways would that affect how much water was flowing through the soil.
0: So you're, you're up in the fog, you're doing this work, but like, what was the actual research?
2: What I was trying to understand is how changes in land management, um, that either have happened in the past or might happen in the future are actually going to change how much water gets into the groundwater, into the aquifers that The Department of Water Supply is using as a water source. And because the aquifer is actually so deep underground, I couldn't do any direct measurements of that. So instead, I was approaching this like a water balance. If we know how much water goes in, we know how much water goes out, then the difference must be getting into the aquifer, especially because there aren't any streams, um, which means that in some ways, this is a really simple system to take measurements in and to quantify. I was working up in the mountains in pasture and forest sites that were right side by side and putting out a bunch of equipment to try to measure the weather, micrometeorology equipment. So how much rainfall is coming down, um, what is the wind, what's the temperature, what's the relative humidity, and putting those together into equations of evapotranspiration, so water used by plants, and then also precipitation to try to understand if we could get at what is the difference between these things in forest and pasture. I went out and I set up a bunch of equipment in these field sites. And to get to these field sites involved a four-wheel drive truck and a bunch of locked gates. <laughs> and basically you know, driving up, 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 up. I went through a coffee farm and then through some forest. And you cut across to get into the pasture. Occasionally, I have to fend off cattle. <laughs> Um, actually for the, for the weather stations that I set up in the pasture, I actually had to put fences around them because it turns out that cattle are really curious. And so the cows would come up and lick the weather equipment. (laughs) And this is really, really bad for accurate recordings of relative humidity. But we did have a lot of equipment out there for, um, almost 18 months, close to two years, measuring um, precipitation, rainfall, but also all this other stuff. And one thing that we were we thought that fog interception might be a big part of the picture here. The way that fog interception works is really about how much canopy area you have and then how much the, the particles of water that are in the cloud are hitting it and then actually Um, turning into a sheet of water on the leaf, and then they can drip down and get to the forest floor. So we had um, rain gauges that were out in the pasture right next to the forest where we had rain gauges on the forest floor. And what we would see is that there would be times when it was raining under the forest, but Mm. it wasn't raining in the pasture.
0: You said about like the cows um, messing with your equipment. Did you have any other, uh, I guess... Issues with like equipment or I can imagine like being out in these forests or pastures or anything and putting out really sensitive things that are meant to be very precise.
2: Close encounters with the, what was the technical term, the, mu- the muck? Oh, yeah. <laughs> with the extremely, rocky muck. extremely <laughs> rocky muck. The muck was not as big a problem, but it turns out that a lot of weather equipment is not actually designed for these kinds of environments. <laughs> So we had all kinds of really entertaining struggles with this. They ranged from actually the biggest problem that we had was we had a lot of rain gauges that were deployed out in these different sites and they started to corrode not because it was raining so much, but actually because this is on the big island of Hawaii. At the time, the Kilauea Volcano wasn't super active, but it has been active for the last 20 years. And they have something called VOG, or vo- volcanic fog, that's really high in sulfur. And so the rain gauges actually started to corrode because of all of the stuff in the air. VOG. VOG, I like that. <laughs>
1: Um, This is cool though Um, But I guess you know She actually like They actually use this stuff um, To help people To help communities So how does that work well, she got her start in Hawaii, but now most of the work she does is with water resources in other parts of the world where there, you know, a lot of people are using that water resource and how do you how do you divide it up, how do you keep it clean, how do you make it so everyone gets what they need? And that doesn't mean just what is the science, but what do people need and want from that
2: water? What are their values? How do
0: uh, how do you feel now about being a a scientist i guess of people in many ways versus kind of your your field days when you were physically like in the field in the natural environment like i'm sure there's pros and cons of both um but kind of just interested in like what your thoughts are of that or i guess if you ever thought you'd kind of be here
2: more than anything i probably thought i would never be in the field (laughs) um i i actually it my field project was supposed to be a summer project that then ate my dissertation <laughs> and turned into to long field seasons over three and a half years. And there was... I learned so much from being in the field on so many different levels. It was also one of the hardest and most exhausting things I have ever done. That first summer, I... I probably ate ice cream for dinner and then went to bed like easily three days a week.
0: <laughs> Some people would make the argument that that's not such a bad life. I, I guess. mean, <laughs>
2: worse things have happened. I will grant that, you know. But then you wake up the next morning and you discover a dead gecko in your water bottle. And that's not really how you want your protein.
0: <laughs> As, uh, has your work kind of changed your views about... Um, I guess the environment or stewardship from like beyond your uh, your technical expertise, like beyond the scientific level, uh, like does it change the way you feel about uh, preservation, conservation, whatever word you want to use?
2: So, really, these projects, which are often called water funds or sometimes payment for environmental services or payment for watershed services, these have really come to life over the last ten years or so, and they're trying to provide a different kind of solution to watershed management, where um, often in places where there's lots of people upstream who are landowners. So um, there's many small farmers or small ranchers. There's indigenous communities. Sometimes people don't have land rights. And regulation is often either not possible or just wouldn't be very effective. And then downstream, there's many, many, many users and really trying to, to look to this population that depends on a water source upstream and transfer some of the benefits. So if the downstream users have to, for example, pay less money for water treatment, then some of that savings can actually go towards upstream activities that keep sediment out of the water. I got, I got into water resources because it has always felt to me like it's right on that crux of really cool science that's totally driven by human values and management and what we as people are interested in. And so that's been a big driver for me since the beginning. And because of the work I do, I've gotten to go to some spectacular places. And and I care about them, I care about Hawaii, I care about the Brazilian Atlantic Forest, I care about the Andes and the Paramo, and I want them to be there. And I also recognize that that's something that's really important to me, that's my value, and that that value isn't more or less important than anyone else's value, that their relationship is different to these places, and they also have their own values and needs about their local places, about their need for food and water security, that these are all real needs and desires, and it's hard. And we can and should try to work with that, but we can't have that conversation unless I recognize that where I'm coming from is just as value-laden as anybody else.
1: I think that's really great. I mean, that's something we can take away, not just for science, but for life.
2: Wow. Yeah. That's very prophetic.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: All right. Well, on that uh, hopeful notes, uh, that's all from third pod from the sun.
1: Yes. Thank you so much to Shane and to Liza Mm -hmm. for bringing us this episode. And of course, to Kate for sharing her work with us.
0: And the podcast is also produced with help from Lauren LaPuma, Josh Beiser, Olivia Ambrosio, and Katie Brundle. And thanks to Adele Coleman for producing this episode.
1: We would love to hear your thoughts about this podcast. Please rate and review us on iTunes. Um, listen to us wherever you get your podcasts. And of course, it's thirdpodfromthesun.com.
0: And and
1: we're doing something, uh, trying something a little new. Um, if we want to hear about your um, your times in the field and when things didn't maybe go so right. Like mm-hmm. not fieldwork fails, but maybe just fieldwork uh, hiccups. Hiccups. Mishaps, mishaps, hiccups. <laughs> so if you have something that you'd like to share with us, please email us at news at agu.org. That's news at org, And you can be featured on this podcast.
0: Great. All right. Thanks all. And we'll see you next time.